Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, December 17th, 2023. Today's sermon is about how God uses suffering in the life of the Christian. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. A couple quick announcements. First, very important announcement. Right after the service, we're going to be baptizing Oakley. And so, I know Oakley hates to hear her name called in front of lots of people, but it's kind of fun to do that. But we are very excited. Um, we believe that Oakley is a Christian, and she has trusted the Lord Jesus, and we're gonna, she's going to go forward with that in baptism. So afterwards, um, the, the entire congregation will go through the men's locker room like we've been doing. They're actually putting some new doors in in another week or so here at the Y, but we go through the men's, men's locker room. So... Um, just follow the crowds there right after we're finished. So don't hang around. So if you've got home groups set up, know that you've got to come back in here and, and uh, put up the chairs. Um, another quick announcement. Just glad to see so many visitors here today. People we know, people we've met, folks that are coming to, for Oakley's baptism as well. So if you're visiting with us, we're very, very happy to see you this morning. Um, Today, I normally say it's time to turn to a passage of Scripture, but we've been preaching topically over the last um, days, and I'm going to continue to do that into the new year. But today's topic is this, and I preached this, a version of this before some years back, but it's something that we need to be reminded of. But the topic is, how does God use suffering? And we could include hardships, and we could include persecutions, and things like that, the hard difficulties of life. How does God use suffering in the life of a Christian? And so let me go ahead and put this out there. This sermon is for Christians. So if you are here today and you are not a Christian, you may not find it as helpful, but I hope that through the preaching of the Word and even through this message that you will hear the things we've been singing about, that the grace of God and sending the, the Lord Jesus Christ to us and that you would consider such things and that you would turn unto Christ and be saved. So with that in mind, let's pray and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for another time that we can get together on a Sunday morning with, with the church here at Grace, with your people, and sing and pray and give, and, and fellowship one with another, and hear the Word preached, and Father, even um, just be obedient today as we baptize Oakley, Father, as we think about making disciples in this world. Father, we are so grateful. I pray that today, that today through the sermon, that uh, Christ would be lifted up. I pray that He would be more, more lovely, more beautiful to us. I pray that You would just just work on our hearts greatly. If, if there are Christians here, that we would be encouraged through the gospel and through this message. I pray if there's a non-Christian that today, Father, they would hear and, and that, Father, you give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they might turn from their sins and look unto Christ and be saved. Uh, Father, I pray in spite of me that you would work. Father, may the Lord Jesus increase. May we all in decrease, Father. So I put this, this sermon and this time into your hands in this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask, what good 
is suffering. So when you think of the trials and the tests of life and someone, say maybe a non-Christian, would come up to you and say, what good is suffering? How would you give, what kind of an answer would you give? Well, this would be very difficult, possibly, if not impossible, to give an acceptable answer to this outside of the grace of God in Christ. So to the unbelieving world, this topic is very perplexing because, here's the reason, the world thinks, well, you know what, Christians, you believe God is good. Well, if God is good, then why do we have all of the evil and all of the suffering in this world? And even for the Christian, the same thoughts may come to your mind as, as a Christian. And you, maybe you don't, you don't have a really good answer. Well, I think that our Christian culture has great difficulty answering this question because, because we are so accustomed to comfort-oriented materialism and uh, just things of just trouble-free, trouble-free living, Disney World and that whole idea of this culture tends to permeate the, our culture in many ways. I think the prosperity gospel has greatly influenced our understanding of suffering. Many believe, many so-called Christians, many Christians maybe believe this, because they are God's children that He will shield you from all troubles in this life. Well, if you believe this, and let me ask, how is that going for you, in all honesty? And how did it go last week and how did it go last year? That's, that's a difficult question to answer. So I must say, if we, this way of thinking is, is empty. It's not biblical, and it will certainly not help us in this very short life, which is full of troubles. So again, this sermon is aimed at Christians, and I hope it will be helpful to you as hardships, and when I, when I use the word, say, suffering in the sermon, I'm thinking of really all of the things in life that come our way, okay? Hardships, persecutions, things caused by natural disasters, the sins in the world that you'd, they're not necessarily caused by you, or maybe the consequences of your choices back in the past have caused great suffering and persecutions and hard, hardships for you now, as a Christian, there's lots of things here, and this is a big umbrella when I use the word suffering. So I hope today that we will be better equipped to go out into the world and understand this topic a little better. I think of Romans 8:28. We could probably, most of us quote it. For God works all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. <clears throat> so with that in mind, I have, I have six truths this morning about how God uses suffering in the life of the believer. <clears throat> the first one is this. God uses suffering to teach us His Word. He teaches us His Word through suffering. Richard Baxter said, Through the Word and Spirit, or the, excuse me, though the Word and the Spirit do the main work, yet suffering unbolts the door of the heart that the Word hath easier entrance. Thomas Watson called afflictions our preacher and our tutor. And he said this, and this is so true, and I think you, you could, we could all agree with this. A sickbed often teaches more than a sermon. 
I know that my back being out and the prednisone I was taking, keeping me up at night, two and three and four, or all night, I would go into my office or go out on the couch and just sit and I'd just praise God for my affliction, that, for my physical affliction because of that. And so the sickbed does teach us often more than a sermon. Suffering and afflictions have a way of making the Scripture real and have more meaning. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119, 75. I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So though, for those who are young in the faith, or just young in age, this truth may not resound as much as it does for the older person with us. As the trials of life have not really come your way as they do as you get older. It has been my experience, especially as I speak with those who are older and have experienced many trials, that they can especially say that this, true, this is true. Those Christians that I've spoken to, that trials always drive us where? To the Word. And we see that. Think about it. What is God's will for your life? I quote this verse often. God's will for your life is, you, is your sanctification, your godliness. <clears throat> and so we grow in godliness as we look under Christ through afflictions, through suffering. And we, we mainly do this through prayer, through reading the Word, understanding the Word, applying the Word of God. And if it takes suffering for us to do that, um, then God's purpose is served as hard as it might be. And so that's truth number one. God uses suffering to teach us His Word. Number two, God uses suffering to wean us from idols, to take us away from idolatry. So what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that we put in the place of God. Anything. And it is false worship to do so. And all of us are worshipers at heart. It's the way God made us. We will worship something. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are many times all too happy with the things of this world than, and the desires that accompany the things of this world. And the more we focus on the things of this world, the more we are often satisfied, are we not, with the gifts of God more than we are with, with God Himself. But God, and, and, the, and the thing is, when we are looking to the world, looking to the things of the world, looking to the, the good things of the world even, the gifts from God, and we put those things above Him, we actually become more and more idolatrous. And so God will use suffering to take us away from that, move us away from idolatry. So, <clears throat> as far as Christians go in this regard, life is one big weaning process. As a mother slowly weans her young child from milk to solid food, that's a good picture. That is what God is doing in the, life of his, in the lives of His children. God is weaning us from our sinful desires. And one of the ways that God weans us is through suffering. 
So when trials come, like, like the death of a spouse, <clears throat> or the death of a loved one, or a sickness <clears throat> that takes place in, in maybe your heart, or your, I mean, your physical life, or, or your, one of your loved one's lives, or when you do what is right as a Christian at the workplace and someone persecutes you, or you, <clears throat> you, you suffer persecution in some way because of any of these things. Well, God uses all of those things and more to teach us not to rely on our own strength and the idols that we have, but take us away and rely on Him. Tim Chester says this, Sinful desire can lurk in our hearts <clears throat> unnoticed because those desires are neither threatened nor are they thwarted. But suffering stirs the calm waters of sinful desires. It reveals the true state of our hearts because all of a sudden when you're going through something that is so hard and so difficult and you think, I cannot get through, and you are a Christian, God uses that, that you, He stirs up the waters of the sinful things in your life, the desires of your life, to bring you back towards Him. It is God's diagnostic tool preparing the way of the medicine of gospel truth. So suffering has a way of turning over the rocks in our heart where idols are underneath, turning them over and getting them out. And when this happens, the gospel, the good news of Christ, becomes very sweet. I think of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus he's, and he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, okay, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and then follow me. Well, Jesus directed these words, right to his idolatry, which was his riches. Do you remember David Brainerd? He ministered among the, the Native American Indians in very, very severe conditions. A young man, but he was dying of tuberculosis. And he wrote about the, the things that were going on, the sufferings that were going on. <clears throat> he says this, Such fatigues... And hardship as these serve to wean more from the earth. And I trust will make heaven that much sweeter. So without suffering, our hearts are easily divided between God and the world. <clears throat> like a needle being pulled by, by two different magnets. But God, God sometimes He removes the magnets of earthly comforts so that our whole hearts might be drawn to Him. That's truth number two. Truth number three. God uses <clears throat> suffering to discipline us. Let me read a passage from Hebrews 12. We just finished Hebrews 12. This is nice, but let me read a few words from Hebrews 12. God says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of our Lord nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, because God is treating you as a son. That's sons in the Greek. Sons and daughters. He's treating you as a child. For what son is there whom his father did not discipline me? 
Brothers and sisters, I knew my father loved me for many reasons, but I knew he loved me because he cared, because he disciplined me. The Word says here, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I remember looking back at all the times... I, if my sister were here, she would say for sure I was disciplined every day and she was disciplined maybe once a month. But I remember those times of discipline and none of them were pleasant. But we know the reason and my father knew the reason. For the moment all discipline seems painful, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Little parentheses, parents... Discipline your children rightly in the Lord. In fact, the world could take note of this as well. I think we would have a better society if parents would sometimes just tell their children, no, you cannot have that. No, you cannot do that. Now, we must remember that when we think about discipline, though, discipline is not <clears throat> punishment. We can say, well, I think we could say that. Um, even though punishment is included in dis discipline, but biblically speaking, God does not punish His children in the same way that we think of discipline. Why? This is the gospel. God punished His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Go back to, to Isaiah 53. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. That is the cross. So God, as Christians today, God punished the Son in your place. This is the sacrificial death of Christ. And He, God, accepted that sacrifice of His Son on the cross in our place. So if you are a Christian today, your sins are forgiven because God has declared you not guilty based upon the work of someone who was proclaimed guilty though he did not sin. It's the greatest exchange. God gives you his righteousness and we give him our sin. And he takes it away and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. God punished his son though he did not deserve it. This is the death of Christ. That is why we can say, Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian today, your sins are forgiven. God is not going to condemn you or punish you because He's already punished and condemned His Son on the cross. We also read in Psalm 103, verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins. What a word. What a word. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love, His steadfast love, towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. 
punishment and wrath is what the world will, will, will receive one day. But God's children will not. However, the sufferings of this life, the hardships of this life, the afflictions of this life because of this sinful world and just what is going on, and everybody's in the same boat, <clears throat> because of those things and through those things, God disciplines you as a child. And this is loving discipline. This isn't just take off the belt and beat him. This is loving discipline, and it's always right and always good from his perspective. And, it's, and the mature Christian will also say, this is good from my perspective. And that's just a part of maturing in, in Christ and becoming more godly. And the more we understand, God is making us holy through discipline. The word discipline comes from the same root as make disciples. So we might say that God is making a disciple of you. That's what he's doing of his, of his children. And in this process, we find suffering. And this is from the hand of a loving father, as difficult as it is. God knows what is best. Thomas Watson says this, God's rod is a pencil to draw the image of Christ more lively on us. So that's truth number three. God uses suffering to discipline us. Truth number four. God uses suffering to test and purify our faith. There, I know there's some overlap here. But through suffering, God will reveal whether your faith is genuine or not. And that's a big statement. And so we must listen to this. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen to these words. That's God working in us, preparing us for glory, preparing us for salvation. Here's what he says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you think of anybody in the Old Testament that we read about that's found in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and 12 there? Can you, can you think of anybody who was not greatly tested in their life as we hold up their faith? I, I cannot. This is very hard, but God uses suffering to purify us and test our faith. This is very hard, I know, but it is the truth. The reality of your faith is revealed when you rejoice in your imperishable, undefiled, unfading future inheritance, even though you are grieved with various trials. So as we are grieved with sufferings and trials and tests and hardships, what are we looking forward to? We're looking forward, he's saying look forward 
to the revelation of Jesus Christ, which that could be in the short term, but it is looking forward to His coming one day. James 1, 2-4, count it all joy, my brothers. We could just say, be joyful today. That's not where He stops. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So what trial are you going through now? All the things I've listed today. Maybe it's because of your own sin. Maybe it's because of the sin of somebody else. Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's just this sinful world. Maybe it's just as our bodies get older and our bodies get sick. And we are heading down that road. All of us are. Whatever it is, whatever it is, what is it? So how are you doing? Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet various kinds. For you know, he's saying to Christians, For you know, we should know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There was a time when King David fled from Saul. He wasn't the king yet, but he was going to be the king. But he fled from the king Saul. And he left there. He left Jerusalem. He didn't have the time to take any any food, any weapons or anything. So he came to a man named Ahimelech, the priest who lived in a place called Nob, N-O-B. And as David was even continuing to flee from Ahimelech, David said, do you have any weapons? And Ahimelech said, Here is Goliath's sword. What do you think David said? David said, give it to me. There is no sword like it. Why would would David say that about a sword? Because that sword was was wielded by a, a great enemy, but also a great warrior. And it had been through many, many battles. And it had come through all the... That sword had been tested in much battle. And so David knew that he could rely on such a sword. So let me ask you this as a Christian today. How is the sword of your faith when it comes to the trials of this life? Does it get angry? I think that that's a, that's a common deal when things happen. And we even may get angry at God. And that, that, that happens to Christians. But eventually... As we grow and as we mature, eventually we will say, you know, I'm realizing these truths that, that I've heard. Maybe John preached or someone else preached. And I know that God is doing this somehow for my good. And so I'm not going to get angry with Him because He is the one that is bringing you through the very trials that He might be sending. In fact, I think if you go and read the book of Job, which if you're reading this, the plan I'm reading right now, I just came through, I think, third in the chapter 30s. There's one whole chapter where Job just says, God, you have afflicted me. God, you have shot your arrows at me. God, you have hit, we could say, you hit me with bricks. Whatever he could say, God said, he said, this is what God is doing to me. Then the very next chapter, the very next chapter, all it does is speak about the sovereignty of God to do his will and what he is, he can do himself. So how does it go with you? Suffering is a test. And at the end of the day, it will separate. 
the sheep from the goats. And so we should preach this and we should teach this and we should often be reminded of the sufferings of this life for the Christian. So you can see now kind of how what I'm talking about when I'm saying this this sermon is for Christians. Well, that's truth number four. (coughs) Excuse me. Truth number five. God uses suffering to increase our usefulness. John Flavel wrote, Let a Christian be but two or three years without an affliction, and he's almost good for nothing. Wow. Do we we think like that today as Christians? Let you go two or three years without an affliction, and you're probably not good for anything. Well, if we really examine our lives, even if I'm not going through an affliction, my spouse might be going through one or my children are going through one, or my grandchildren are going through one, or my grandparents, or my co-worker, or whoever, we can join in, and we do that. The more mature we come, become as Christians, we, we do that. But that's quite the statement. Go two or three years without an affliction, and he's almost good for nothing. A.W. Tozer says this, <clears throat> It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply that those are hard words i know that but sometimes those are the best things for us god uses suffering to increase our effectiveness in our ministry to one another and to the world he does this in different ways sometimes god uses suffering to work on our character so that we'll become more dependent on christ and as a result we will be more useful to others. John 15, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words from the Lord Jesus. These words are for us. I am the true vine. Jesus says of himself, I am the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Whatever that means, pruning. Oh, it's pruning. That it may bear fruit. Fruit. That's what we do as good gardeners. We prune them back so that in the spring, greater fruit comes on. So just as a vine dresser cuts away excess foliage, that we might like that foliage. We want that foliage, but God may be cutting that away to make it more fruitful. So Father, our Father uses the pruning knife, the knife of, of afflictions. To cut away the things in our lives that keep us from being unfruitful. Sometimes, God may put us in difficult circumstances that make us more effective as we make disciples of other people. Paul, greatest example, I think, in the New Testament. When he wrote to the Philippians, he was in prison. Difficult situation? Yes, very difficult. I, I haven't been in prison because of my faith. I don't know if anybody in here has yet. But here's what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, at the Philippian church, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So sometimes we see a brother in prison, what do we do? We preach the gospel more boldly when we go out. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, following, Paul says, We have this treasure, he's talking about the gospel, the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in jars of clay, because we are flesh and blood, and we are weak. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters, that you have if you are a Christian. You've got it. So that to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, God will give it to us sometimes, these afflictions, these persecutions, whatever they are, everything under the umbrella, He'll give them to you so that the only thing you can do is trust Him. That's it. He continues to write, We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of, of the death of Jesus. Because Jesus is our example. He died and we are to follow His example in all of His sufferings, and all of His humility. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So to Paul, his afflictions were sent partly for the purpose of bringing life to those whom he preached and ministered to in Philippi. Now this is a paradox, I know. I, I can't figure this one out. It's, it's just a paradox. The cross... Of, of Christ in our personal lives. But through these, through the cross and through sufferings, God brings blessings to other people through your weaknesses. And we know that to be true. How many people have you been counseled by, say two different people, counseled by someone who's never been through what you're going through? You get another counselor. Now that, that counselor may do great and be just fine, but you get another counselor that does the same thing but has been through what you've been through. How, how does that go? You're like, oh, I get it. You are with me. Well, let me just say this, just on a note. The Lord Jesus Christ is with all of us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But in every way he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he understands everything that we are going through. And again, this is paradox. But the gospel achieves victory through our apparent defeat. The world looks at Christians and goes, those idiots believing all this stuff about this man dying on a cross with blood and a resurrection, and then they don't do the things that we do. They don't laugh at the jokes we make. They don't watch and listen to all the same things we do. They're not brought into all the... And they go, they're just, they're weird people. And they're persecuted. There's the paradox. But the gospel achieves victory through our apparent defeat. Because one day, brothers and sisters, we will rule with Christ. And we're already seated with Him in the heavenly places. So that's, that's another use of suffering this morning that He 
He prunes us and makes us effective. Finally, this morning, truth number six, God uses suffering to prepare us for glory. It's a big word. You could say for heaven, or for the things to come. Romans 8.18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. His point is that future glory will far outweigh and compensate for our sufferings. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, here's what he calls this, light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means they're, they're, they're transient, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now this is something hard to comprehend in our flesh. We cannot do this. And I think that we may get this in little doses throughout life as we suffer certain things. But somehow, God will use the afflictions, the trials, the tests, sufferings of this life to prepare us for future glory in heaven. Think about a marathon. How would you like to run a marathon? Well, this might be a interesting question to see how you answer. How would you like to run a marathon without training? What if you could run a marathon without training? Some of you are thinking, yeah, that's me. No training, run the marathon. But we know that is impossible to do. I think there's much to be said about the training and the sweat and the time and the effort and the injuries and the eating healthy while you're training for a marathon. All of these things we can liken these to the afflictions and persecutions and sufferings of this life. They will be worth it, as difficult as it may seem right now. They have prepared you for the finish line that is to come. Here's an example from C.S. Lewis. He says, imagine yourself as, live, as a living house. So as a Christian, and hang with me, I'm almost finished, okay? <clears throat> he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild you, to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what God is doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, so on, things like that. And you knew that all of those things needed to be done, so you're not surprised by His work. But presently, He starts knocking the house, knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and it does not make sense to you. What on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. That's what God is doing. Throwing out a new, or throwing in a new wing to the house over here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into some little cottage but God is building a palace for you because He intends to come 
and dwell in this house. So when we view our afflictions from this perspective, we realize that God is using them to make us into better, more beautiful creatures than we could ever, 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 otherwise ever be. So the palace will not be built until the cottage is destroyed. So the demolition is painful, but this is the price that God, and we are the recipients, but the price that God is willing to pay to prepare you for glory one day. So these are some of the ways today. Some, just six, okay? And I got these from, from a book I read years ago from a guy named Brian Hedges. But these are just some of the ways that God uses suffering. Let me go through them one, one time again, and I'll finish with one passage to close us out. God uses suffering, one, to teach us His Word. Two, to wean us from idols. Three, to discipline us. Four, to test and purify our faith. Five, to increase our usefulness in this life. And then finally, to prepare us for heaven. So let me ask. After that, is suffering good? You can answer the question. Of course it is. So let me finish this sermon today by, <clears throat> by reading Romans 8, 28 to 38. You're welcome to turn there with me, but I'm just going to read those 10 verses and that will be the conclusion to our sermon. Romans 8, 28. Listen to these words carefully. These, this is our application today. And we know, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. I have to stop there. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. These things are not working out for your good. These, this is specific. We don't know. But I would, I would urge you to, to seek out what the Bible says about Christ and what the Bible says about God and seek Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and ask God to give you wisdom. I pray that that you would do that, that you would trust Christ. But let me keep reading. We know that God works all things for good to those who love Him or called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's us, Christian. That's us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give to us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is now interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here we go. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Brothers and sisters, those come, and they will come to the church of Christ throughout history until the end. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, 
we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will, e- will be able to separate us, you, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you at the end of these words this morning thanking you for just another time to just consider something from your word and such a heavy topic as suffering. Father, may these words help us because we, we all suffer. If we're not, we will. If it's not us right now, it's somebody else. I pray that you would help us as Christians to love those who are suffering and to come alongside those who are suffering and to give them hope. Father, even in such a sermon as this, that we might give such truths to, our, to the world, they might see that, wow, Christians suffer differently than I do. I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us in our boldness as we share the gospel, as we go out into the world. Help us to love you more, to trust you more, and again, may Christ be more beautiful to us. And these words, even we read from Romans 8, 28, may they resound with us. Father, even this next week as we get ready for, for Christmas time and having family and friends and all kinds of things, pray that you would just work in our hearts greatly to see the meaning of Christmas, that Christ himself came in humility and was suffered and died, yet he rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now rules. And he he is waiting until all things are made, all of his enemies are made his footstool. So Father, we we, we pray these things. Pray that you'd help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.